When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. My name is Hafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. I'm just considering that. So what I'm talking about is swear words. Yes. It's not going to be... <laughs> It's not going to be a, a, an issue about it, right? No, no. I already had another subtitler that was talking about swear words too. So I'm going to mark it as explicit so people know it when they are about to hit play. And I'm going to tag yours explicit too because, you know, I think that us language people should be able to handle it. But if they have, you know, kids yeah. or anyone that they don't want to hear swear words, yeah, they can just have a chance to just pause it and go back to it. Controversy in audiovisual translation. Narcos. We're back today with yet another conversation that I was eager to share with you. Today, I'm talking with Ana Osorio, who was born in Venezuela to a Colombian family. She was a little girl living in Medellin during the Pablo Escobar era. Because of that, she's very familiar with the Paisa dialect. In 2002, Ana moved back to Venezuela, and five years later, she decided to pursue a career in the language field, studying modern languages at the University Arturo Michelena in Carabobo. She later moved once again, this time to Australia, where she pursued an advanced master's degree in translation and interpreting studies at Macquarie University. The topic of her thesis was, you guessed it, the Narcos series that premiered on Netflix in 2015 and focused on Escobar's ascent and descent in the late 1970s through the early 1990s. So, Anna and I sat down to talk about what she researched while writing her thesis and what her impressions were about the first two seasons of Narcos. And considering the topic of our conversation, this episode is marked as explicit for strong language, so your discretion is advised. Most of the documents we deliver to our customers are single-language documents, in which one language was replaced with another language. However, there are times when we need to prepare a translated document so that the source text and the target text appear side by side. To avoid a lot of copy and paste, you can use TransTools, a suite of plugins for Microsoft Office that increases translators' productivity. Open a Word document and run the Dual Language Document Assistant tool. This tool allows you to duplicate selected text so that the future translation appears either as a second column in a table or after a certain delimiter, like slash or line break. Afterwards, you need to hide the text on one side in order to translate the document in a CAT tool. 
When the final document is ready, unhide the previously hidden text and you are done. If you want to give TransTools a try, go to this webpage, tinyurl.com slash tc dash TransTools. I hope you like it. So today I'm talking to Anna and she has a very, very interesting research that she did when she was back in school studying to be a translator. And I want her to tell us all about it because it's so fascinating. A lot of people really enjoy knowing about the behind the scenes and also the decision making and subtitling. And you wrote about one of the top shows on Netflix for the Latin American crowd, which is Narcos. So I would like you to introduce yourself and then we'll go right into it because people I'm sure will be really thrilled to know about what you discovered during your research. All right. So a quick introduction about me. My name is Anna. I've been in Australia for eight years now. I am Colombian background by family and also Venezuelan as well. I lived in Colombia for my first 13 years, which include part of the life of Pablo Escobar when he was alive. So technically, I was about four years old, if I'm not wrong, when he got killed or died. Many theories around that. So yeah, I've always been a passionate for languages. I've always been passionate to the translating work and interpreting work as well. I did my uh, bachelor's degree in Venezuela in modern languages. And then here in Australia, in 2018, I graduated from the master's degree in advanced translating and interpreting studies from Macquarie University, hence the research that we're going to talk about today. Yes. Another thing I wanted to mention as well is I graduated about three years ago and I haven't been in sort of the TNI world for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I'm sorry beforehand if I'm not as like, you know, knowledgeable of these things. Cause yeah, I'm not a practice for quite some time now. Not a problem. I love it, because, but I'm not practice yet. Yeah. But you know, your knowledge, you know, what you put together is just so cool <laughs> that you know, we have to address it. Even if you're not translating every day, even if you're doing something else. It's not a problem. But I read, I really enjoyed it. I know that people are going to be like, oh, that's so cool. And if you want to publish it, I don't know if uh, you have any plans, because I know that people will be very interested. Um, Look, I haven't, was for my master's degree, this research, it actually was rough edged just because it was so short time I did it. I did it in about three weeks. So technically, I had another job in mind like another research in mind but for legal and immigrational purposes i couldn't the government didn't allow me to continue because it was regarding interpreting services within the refugee that here are unfortunately in jail so it was kind of a hard-ish topic to get to it was a very interesting one and i loved it because it was sort of part of a service but i couldn't make it And how did you have this idea to write about the show Narcos? So the reason why I got into this research was because of my partner. I mean, basically, he's English, and he was trying to understand what was coming from this show in regards to meaning of the culture and the dialect, and why does they use this word instead of this word. And all these sort of things brought me to this research. 
mostly in the swear word bit because the swear words were not as accurate as you might think. So I had to pretty much translate to him what in, in reality that swear word the translator used was an accurate result of it. So that's what brought me to this piece of work. And it was fun to do it. It was a, an express work, I would say. It took me about three weeks to get to it. But it was fun to get to know what Narcos wanted to offer to the rest of the world. And yes, a bit of side of my Colombian culture that is an unfortunate side of it because Colombian culture is beautiful, but it's in history. So we have to talk about it. And how, if you know, how did the Colombian audience receive the series? Did they like it? And how was the, the use of the Spanish, not going to the translation right now, but how would the yeah. use of Spanish came about? Well, for what I had in my research and from fellow Colombian people and even my family and myself, we found it a little controversial that they didn't use Colombian actors or not in its totality, like the whole cast, to be Colombian, because that would have been more accurate to, like, you know, to the culture, to the knowledge, to the jargon, to the dialect, to everything. So it was kind of controversial within that culture to say, why did they use people from outside, from other cultures and other nationalities to play someone that is very, like, in blood of the Colombian culture? Because obviously Pablo Escobar is known worldwide, but it's more to it. It's more the, like I said before, the culture, the jargon, the, the way people express themselves, and it's everything. So it was a quite controversial issue. And if you go into social media when this show was released, not many people took great things about it, and mostly because of that, because of the use of international cast to do the show. Got it. And in this case, the main actor playing Pablo Escobar is from Brazil. So I just wonder how hard it must have been not only to portray someone who is, you know, so notorious that everybody remembers, everybody in our generation. I'm a little older and I remember seeing that on TV. So how how hard it must have been to just learn the character that we have footage of, but also a language that he didn't speak. So Wagner Mora is Brazilian, he speaks Portuguese, and he was breaking into, you know, English a little bit with some other movies, and now Spanish with a very specific cultural background and, and language and dialect. So I can only imagine how hard it must have been, and uh, I can understand also the other side of the criticism, because you want something authentic, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, he had it coming, like, really tough like he really had i would say tough challenge to follow however i believe he did a really good job obviously it's very notorious his accent i'm not gonna lie but his performance was very close to what in reality pablo escobar was so his acting was really accurate but i must say obviously his accent was notorious and was sort of like um, like a glitch in what you have in mind coming from Pablo Escobar himself. However, I believe he did an excellent job in portraying his factions, his mannerisms, 
even his his dragon as well. He did really good in that. But yeah, he he knew from the get go that he was going to get that from the community, obviously from the Colombian community. But um, I believe he did a really good job. So I think it's just fascinating because being a language person, it's always great to see actors going the extra mile and learning their dialogues. It's always great. There's always that kind of, you know, language component that goes with culture as well. Yeah, and to be honest, I'm a firm believer that if you're doing a show of someone or somewhere, you have to be at least leveled to both background and culture and in dialect. Not necessarily to use cast from that country if you don't want to, but at least leveled up because then that way, your customer, your niche is not going to be like, whoa, what are they doing? What are they talking about? Which is, I believe, what happened with Narcos, the first season which I worked about. Because there's so many versions of what shows of Pablo Escobar, and I actually, I don't believe I'm wrong in saying that there was a show in line with Narcos, but in Colombia, so a Colombian show called uh, Pablo Escobar, El Patrón del Mal which it's actually played by Colombian cast and it's actually I would say probably in accuracy about a ninety percent of Pablo Escobar himself. So it it was kind of like, well, they are doing this and Narcos is getting there. But again, culture glitch was a major reason for me to do this show, um and the research on this show because not many people were pleased with how they went around it, they went around the translation, the titling. And I found it curious to see how we could work on someone so notorious with this show, with this work. And yeah, I thought it was fascinating to see people so upset and saying, no, we want someone from Colombia and Colombian cast doing Pablo Escobar. It's not fair that someone from Brazil has this show and has this role. But at the end, when I saw it, I'm like, no, he did excellent. He took the challenge really well. There's factors around it. Yes, we all know that. But I believe the show is really well performed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And what are the, some of the specifics about it that you actually found? And I know that we are already going to have the tag for explicit, but I know we're going to get into a lot of swear words, a lot of dirty words and slang that is not appropriate for, you know, children. But um, let's talk about these specific issues or things that maybe were pleasantly surprised and how they related to English. And um, you watched it just with the subtitle, right? Not the dubbed version, correct? So for my research, I only watched the subtitle version. Yeah. In regards to my work, the bad or not bad, just like not say not accurate translation choice, choices, let's call it that way. I found probably three or four that we can go through. So the okay. first one in the scene where Agent Murphy is already in Colombia's the National Police Station, where they go it's right towards the end. To be more specific, in Season 1, Episode 6, basically, Agent Murphy is talking to to one of the police officers, and the police officer is saying, No me haga reír, gringo marica. That's, <laughs> that's the first one. So, in regards to how Netflix 
didn't. They said, don't make me laugh, faggot. Okay. Basically, one the reason why I mentioned this one is because, so faggot for us in the Colombian culture, marica, it's pretty much a muletilla, a slur word that we use constantly for ending a context word or like a sentence. So it's something that we use most of the time, and it doesn't mean to be insulting a person. Basically, it's just something you end up a sentence with. Okay. So in this case, the back translation to it for the subtitle would be, don't make me laugh, bring a faggot. That's like the whole uh, literal translation would be. However, me, as a translator, I would say, don't make me laugh, you fucking gringo. But that's because it's a funny setting scene where it's a sarcastic sentence. So you see now the differences between what Netflix chose and I choose. Mm-hmm. So, so you would say that because using the F word faggot in English, it's a more loaded, it has more of a hatred yeah. with a homophobia. And then the maricas that they used was more like, you know, it's something that you would just throw around more casually, it's right? It's informal. Correct. It's informal. It's something that you use to final, like, finalize a sentence. It's not, it doesn't mean that you are insulting that person. But at the same time, you have to bring it up because it's a cultural part of us or the Colombian culture because we do use it every time. <laughs> so the way that they put it sounds like they are insulting Agent Murphy in this case, saying that he's a homo, uh, homosexual agent or police officer, and he's, he's not. It's just simple jargon. Yeah, I agree. I agree. One other one that I have here, and it's from season one, episode two. Setting the scene is when one of the prostitutes goes to this, all the kingpins uh, party that they did to form the Cartel of Medellin, that they invited all these bunch of prostitutes to be with them. And one of them was an informant for the, the agent Peña. She was taken to another house with a bunch of sicarios or hitmen, they were abusing her sexually. So in this scene, the Spanish person was, Tengo que matar esta piroa. That's in Spanish. The translator used, I gotta rough this girl up. So in this sort of scenario, piroa means bitch. So in this case, they were using this swear word to insult this person. So we have to mention it. Now, Piroa is also a well-inbred swear word from Colombian culture. Okay. So we have to explain it or at least come across with a closer insult, let's say. So in this case, for example, my chosen word was I have to kill this bitch because it comes closer to the situation, the scene, what was going on around her. But I also, uh, if I got it right, they also don't portray the violence. Because, of course, the, the, the swear word, the, the slang that they're using to really uh, put her down as in her role, but they also don't really translate as much of the killing part, right? The violence. Because rough someone up, exactly. you can just beat someone up and just, you know, get someone injured, but not really kill when in Spanish it was really blatant that they're going to off her. <laughs> so... Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. So technically here, because they were sexually abusing her, each and one of the hitmen in the room, roughing a girl up in this scenario wasn't uh, coming as hardcore as it should have been. And this happens all along this season where sometimes they used words to just settle the mood or sometimes they just omit it and put other words that didn't really come across with the real violence that they were portraying in the video. Those are the things that I came across within my research. Sometimes they did mention them and sometimes it wasn't like not portraying correctly the feeling of the scene, which in this case was the piroa in this in this sort of scenario was a really tough scene because it's seeing this lady naked and crying and people making fun of her and then in the background Agent Peña trying to find her so he's actually trying to kill another hitman to get information. It's this scenario we have to portray. The hardcore scene in his hardcore words, chosen words that we have to select in order to portray the same level of violence. Yeah, so at the end, it's just giving the same reaction. So if you're going to be very mm-hmm. upset about something that they're portraying because it's so realistic, in English, when you have the translation, it also would have to be very loaded like that. Yeah, the other example, this one is not as violent, but this one is from so episode 7 from season 1, and it's saying, No tengo tiempo para esas maricadas. So the translator went and said, I don't have time to think about that pussy shit right now. Hold on a minute. Maricadas for us in the Colombian culture is stupid stuff. So it's silliness, something that doesn't have a worse or something that is not as important. So in this case, the translator chose to be literal in the meaning of maricadas, which is not correct. So in this case, I was to put, I don't have time for that shit right now. Because it's something, when you put it in this sort of phrase, it's something that as well doesn't have a meaning, like a meaning, important. I don't have time for that shit. Let's leave it aside and just let it go, right? So it's one of other things that I found in the research. Sometimes it was literally translated. Sometimes it was just omitted. Sometimes it's just not level of importance. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's tough because we don't know what decision-making went through that. And talking from you know this side, as a translator, sometimes you put something there and someone else changes it. So we don't know where along the line someone made a decision, right? I know that there is no censorship. We're supposed to just keep everything as is. There's no softening it. But yeah, you can see that somewhere along the line, some decisions were made that, you know, kind of deviated a little bit from the original. Yeah, that's right. So technically, if you're coming across with a show like Narcos, where it's pure violence, you have to come across with the same level of violent wording as what you're portraying in the video. You kind of be pink or um like subtle on the subtitle when you're coming with a shooting scene or something like that. Um, I understand you have to choose words in order to either reduce the space of the subtitle and sort of like rewarding sometimes because you don't have the space. But I believe in this case, it's more 
the difference in culture between the translator and the show itself. It's important to mention that when I did the research, I couldn't find the, the whole script of the season. So it was pretty much evaluated towards me watching the whole scene on and on, stopping forwarding, just to double check that it was correct and, and that my perception was accurate. Also, it's important to mention that the company that did the translation for this season, I don't know about the rest of them, but for this season in particular, it's coming from Spain and the translator is Spanish. So I think it would have been better to have a person that is either from Latin America who has a closer relationship towards the culture or probably leave it to more towards the cultural aspect of the show itself. That's that's my impression and those were my results with the research because I believe there were things that were left out, things that were added that didn't need to be and things that didn't show as much of the emotion of the show. Got it. Yeah, it's it's a very delicate situation because it's something so regional, so regional. So there's so many nuances that we kind of get lost because of that. So um yeah, it is it's hard to just imagine how everything happened behind the scenes because also um how are you going to localize it into a mainstream American English, British English, Australian, Irish? There's so many different uh, things that you can say that, you know, sometimes it's very rude for Americans but not for British. <laughs> So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to just navigate through that, having the regionalisms for the original and also for the translation. Yes, it's, um, that's why I love translation, because like you have so many avenues, so many doors to go through and so many ways to work on something that like is going to go to the rest of the world, which is in this show Narcos. Yeah, so I believe... It's not as bad choices. I'm not saying like it's 100% not accurate, but it's as you say, being so regional, and obviously I'm from there, so technically my family's from Medellin, I'm sort of on a closer advantage towards what the translator in this case worked on. So it's, I understand it was a challenge for every single person that worked on this show. And I must say it's very respected the work that was done not only from the cast, but obviously from people behind the scenes. And in this case, the translator as well did a good job because, again, as you said, you have to level up the the English for many, many, many cultures. And it's really hard to find just one point of relation towards every every other culture because you can't. It's, it's impossible. So they did a really good job. However, it's good to mention that it's important to go further into the translation work in regards to finding the cultural aspect of swear words. Because that way you can play around that and find the most accurate or closer word for the audience you're working with. So in this case, English will be the culture, the main culture they worked on. Again, finding little changes can make the scene proper and the person who's really interested in this case, my partner was from England, understand the background of it and say, oh, okay, yeah, great, that means that, awesome. 
but not having to for me to explain the whole background of the word and the history of it while she's watching the show. Yeah. While you're talking about that, I'm just thinking about how it's so sad that we don't have footnotes in subtitling because there are some things that you're going to have a reaction being a language person because you understand that. And someone that is monolingual consuming the product of the translation will not get the same reaction because of several things, right? And it's not just about inside joke because someone used a word or an expression that reminds you of something. No, but it's just how it is used by, you know, the majority of a population that speaks that language. So it's, it's hard that I uh, probably you were, um, I don't know, more upset with some scenes or some lingo that your partner wasn't. And I've seen that happening, you know, between my husband and me too, because uh, I we're consuming something in Portuguese and I'll be laughing. And then maybe the subtitle in English yes. wasn't that funny. You know, it was just normal, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's the same. So, but it's the same for all of us. I think when we talk about having a show like Squid Games, I'm a fan consumer of K- K-pop, mostly on shows. I've watched, what, four, three or four different series in Korean, and I love them. But it's the same as you say. I can't find something funny if the scene doesn't fit it and the subtitle goes together with it. If you know what I mean. So they, yes. if they're saying something funny, then the scene will be funny as well. So instead of what I consume and I say, okay, that's funny. Haha. But if I don't understand any, uh, if there's someone from Korea next to me, obviously will say, oh, okay, they did say this and I completely missed it. So then it's what I came across in my research is the importance of making it as close as possible, not saying 100% accurate because that's not possible, but as close as what you want the consumer to be in regards to the jargon, the dialect, the culture. So that's why I was very interested in this piece of work because some of the scenes I was like, this is not right. And I will go back and recheck and, okay, no, I would have said this. And that's how I explain it in my work because I put it as how they say it, then I back translated it, sort of a literal translation to the scene, and then like the translated choices. So in my work, you will see it as a comparison rate, more so than like just lines of it. And that way, we could get to a result or what my result was in regards to another different opinion or different choices as well. Okay. And did you do it um, at the language level only, or did you also took the time to count characters and see if you would fit if you were trying to change something? Uh, Because mainly if you just change one word and you have kind of the same number of letters, it will be okay. But were some of the examples that you highlighted, did they need like structural changes that need to change something around? Do you think that it would fit? Um, Did you consider that as well, the part of the technical aspect of uh, subtitling? Yes, I did look into it. Back in uni, we had software that allowed us to put the subtitles through. So I did measure them. I believe only one or two from my work didn't fit just because of how they needed to explain the whole sentence. Uh, only two of them didn't fit, so I had to rework. But I didn't 
put it in my piece of research because I was just focusing on how chosen words would have been better than the structural bit of the subtitle because that's another obviously another research but considering that the Spanish words were not as big they could have fit in the character uh, rule of Netflix okay got it that's that's great and I'm wondering now if uh, you have any plans to publish it if there is a way that you can uh repackage it because it was something for university of course but do you mm -hmm. have any plans to just repackage it and try to um, edit it as a book for mass consumption so we all can uh, see what uh, your process was um i'm actually flattered this actually came across in a comment on facebook <laughs> i actually wasn't it wasn't in my cards to publish it but i actually now that i do this i i'm actually keen to do so so Yeah, you'll probably see it soon. Nice. I, I love it because I understand being there, dealing with deadlines and trying to write your thesis and trying to present it and actually thinking about your professors as your audience when you're writing something, especially in academia, right? But then once you step back and, you know, years later, you just think, oh, maybe other people are also interested in the subject. And I can assure you that, yes, what I've seen from every time I talk about subtitling on the podcast or when I uh, have presentations and lectures that people are always crazy about subtitling because it's uh, one of the two things that I think we consume the most. It's that and, you know, books, <laughs> books translated into yeah. our languages, because everything else that we do um, may be consumed by a very small part of society, maybe inside a company, maybe, you know a target audience for this particular piece that we translate. But when it comes to subtitling and to uh, when it comes to books, that's what we all are passionate about. That's how we consume information about other cultures. That's how we travel, right, to other places. Yes, so, right. yeah, I do think that, you know, if um, you go ahead and publish it, a lot of people are going to be very... Uh, excited to know what it was like to, um, you know, obsessed about a show because that's how we do when we're translating or when we're just language people and we're just trying to unwind and relax and have fun with something. But sometimes we're just obsessed about it. What was the word that they use, especially if you don't know the, the original language, like, you know, with Korean or with Japanese that my kids watch animes all the time. It's like, what was the word? And is it correct? And maybe it didn't sound right. Or then you, the other side of it, you just come across a word that it's like, that is perfect. I have to remember next time I need to use it. So I know that we obsess about things like that. And uh, I know that I'm not the only one that would be very, very happy to read the whole body of work that he put together with that. Well, thank you so much for all this. I do appreciate it. I actually thought it was just, a piece of work for my university and it really warms my heart. It was really like I put my whole into this research and, and as you say, it, it was interesting to go and sit down and look and pass hours of your day going back and forward, looking at in detail the scene, the cast and the script and how it was translated. I was like, no, this is not right. This is not accurate. Uh, oh, yeah, this is accurate, actually. And things like that, bringing, bringing these emotions were a really highlight of this process. And I am really proud of my work. And well, I'm even more proud now that someone like you has read it and have said these things about me right now. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> 
though, really. Uh, I really like that. It's, um, it's just unfortunate that as subtitlers, we don't have the time to do that, unfortunately, because there are show schedules. The show has to premiere at a certain time, and then other people have to go in there and change things because of legal or marketing issues. So it's always great when there's someone that has an opportunity to actually study it and we can learn from it. And then maybe next time it's going to be easier to make decisions because the work, the research has already been done by people like you. So thank you so much for your work. And uh, when you do publish it, let us know so I can uh, help spread the word too, because I want to read the final, you know, repackaged version. It is important for all translators out there like you to have a look at the cultural aspect of what you're translating or a little go a little bit deeper into what you want to portray in your subtitle all translators of subtitles do amazing like you have a very challenging work and i'm hands down you are really really good on what you do and we thank you for it i mean i'll i'll talk on the audience aspect of it um, but again, thank you so much for your time and for having that read through my work. And I hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Send me an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation dash confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.